Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Want to greet everybody who is worshiping with us today in person and online. I want to thank Theron for being in the front row, the Heimers for being in row two, because when I got in here, nobody was in the, this side of the house for five rows, and I was kind of doing like this, you know, just had a little ego crisis, but I'm okay, I'm back. I'm Chip Free, the lead teaching pastor here. We're so glad uh, that you're with us. Uh, I, if you heard Pastor Theron, our youth pastor, uh, reading the scripture and greeting us today, um, he's doing a marvelous job. He is, just has a heart for our teams. And I just want to lift him up. There, you know, he mentioned this a partnership with Building Hope in the City. Uh, they're going to go do a one-week uh, camp for youth up to the ages of eighth grade in one of the most impoverished areas of Cleveland. And the director of that program has been here to the church, and she told me before I connected her with Aaron, she said, if it wasn't for Garfield Memorial Church, we couldn't do this program. And we're, we're fully doing it, ma'am. We're gonna, it's, it's us. Uh, they, they said that they usually get churches that help provide hot meals because the youth, that, when they're out of school, often don't get any hot meals in the summer. And I said, look, uh, you know, if, if there aren't enough churches to do it, we'll do it. We'll do whatever it takes. So if you see Theron out in the lobby today, will you go up to him and say, hey, how can I help? How can I help? Maybe I can't be there. Do you need some support? Can I fund a meal? What can I do? Um, let's do that as we widen the circle. Because that's our mission, man. We're, we're trying to widen the circle. We're trying to show the world that being together is possible, right? Pastor Kurt preached last week. You can give Pastor Kurt a hand. He's online. Isn't he a blessing? We, we like to put Pastor Kurt up to preach once in a while, A, because he's a really great preacher, amen? And secondly, because we don't want anybody online to think he's a bot. Like, he's human. He really is there. I had people tell me they're worshiping with us from Maine. Hello. Uh, we have a little church in Mexico that worships with us every week. So when you talk to Pastor Kurt online, <clears throat> he's real. He was here. You saw him in the flesh last week. If you don't believe me, go to the website, listen to his sermon. It's really great. And he mentioned last week um, that in our particular tribe, in the Methodist church, the tradition is they always appoint pastors for one year at a time. So you, you guys are stuck with me and Pastor Terry because the bishop appointed me for my 20th year, July 1st, and Pastor Terry for her 21st year. So Batman and Robin are not going anywhere. Uh, but just letting you know. Okay, that was shameless too. I'm preaching on the seven deadly sins and I am all in vanity today. Anyhow, um, but uh, Pastor Kurt mentioned that in our tribe, pastors transition and move every July 1st. So because of so much division in the world, et cetera, we decided at Garfield that we would send care packages to all the pastors who were moving and all the churches that were receiving new pastors all across East Ohio. And I got a bunch of notes from some, and I read this one today. This was from a pastor down in Worcester, Ohio. So, I mean, we're talking widening the circle, and he was thanking us for the care package and, and for what happened and, and said he, he said to Pastor Chip and all the encouragers at Garfield Memorial Church, 
And he wrote this, I thank you for your commitment in a time of dividing and parting, for your commitment, Garfield's commitment always, to a higher unity in Jesus Christ. Uh, so, so thank you for being part of that, man. We just want to widen the circle. We want to share Christ's love. See, I'm, I'm doing all these shameless applaud things right now because I put on my social media, you know, in, in Ohio, uh, in-person attendance in churches tends to go down in the summer because we get like three months where you can see the sun, right? And, and I'm contributing to it because for the next seven weeks, I'm going to be preaching about sin. Wow. And your guy's like, oh, yes, pick me. Wasn't the scripture so encouraging this morning? What is it that you found worthless in me that you went after worthless things and became yourself worthless? But I'm trying to deal with sin. What I'm dealing with, I'm calling it the seven daily sins. It comes from something you've probably heard about, about the seven deadly sins. Um, a, this was created by a person uh, called Eva Garius. How many grew up on a street in the neighborhood with somebody named Eva Garius? We don't use those names anymore, but Eva Garius Ponticus. That's a cool name. Uh, maybe my next grandchild. I don't know. But uh, he was a monk in the fourth century, and it was influenced by the Greek philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, that talked about there's virtues and there's vices. So he wanted to look at what are the seven, because seven's always a number that means completion or perfection. What are the seven virtues a Christian should aspire to? What are the seven vices, thus the seven deadly sins he talked about? Pope Gregory the Great in the 6th century read uh, his writings and actually brought it into the tradition of the church. Now, I have news for you. The seven deadly sins are not in the Bible. Not in there. But it was these interpreters saying, these are sins that affect us, right? And I'm calling them the seven daily sins because I think each one of them point to something a little different. So here is the list that St. Thomas Aquinas took Pope Gregory's seven deadly sins, uh, the deadly sins that affect the image of God in us, and they're in an important order, and we're going to start with this next week, pride, greed, envy. Uh, I am envying our family in Maine today. I always want to go there and fish, so I'm guilty of it. Wrath, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Those are the seven deadly sins, okay? Um, they gave me the clicker today, so this is real dangerous. I've never had this before. Dave and Ben have placed their trust in me. I don't know why. Um, but we're looking at, at all of those uh, because, you know, culture knows the seven deadly sins more than they know in the Bible. They don't know they're not in the Bible, but they know them. How many of you saw that movie with Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt a few years ago, right? Seven, right? Seven deadly sins. Now, I'm, I'm going to risk it. Some of the millennials who are here, you're going to have to pick up your phone and Google it. But some of us my age grew up watching a TV series called Gilligan's Island. Anybody remember that? At least some people my age in the room, right? Can you name the characters in Gilligan's Island? Let's do it. Just shout them out. Type men online. Who? Ginger always comes up with the men first at Heritage. 22 men shouted Ginger. I don't know what's up. Okay. Ginger, who else? Skipper, Gilligan, Marianne, Professor. They said Professor early, and I said Pastor. I, I put myself in it. Okay, who else? Two more. Mr. and Mrs. Howe. How many is that? Seven. And the writer of Gilligan's Island said that he created the series with each one of the characters representing one of the seven deadly sins. 
Now, he never named who was who. So if you Google Gilligan's Island and the seven deadly sins, you're going to get like QAnon conspiracy stuff on who's what. It's a lot of fun, but he never said. But he did say he created the series to represent the seven deadly sins. So what we want to look at and why I'm calling it the seven daily sins is to understand that all of them point to something. They point to something in each and every one of us that we don't want to talk about. That'll be my first point in a minute. And that we're fatally flawed. We're, we're broken. There's a brokenness in each one of us. That's why our mission statement to widen the circle says we want to connect diverse people who share a common brokenness with Jesus. Come to Jesus. Don't just come to church, as the video said. Come to Jesus when you're broken and tired and weary and have the courage to admit that you are. Come to him because he'll receive you. And so what do these sins point to? I love um, G.K. Chesterton. He was one of my favorite theologians. He had the odd mix of being a high intellectual and, an, and a comedian at the same time. So, so it was high thinking and a lot of humor. And toward the end of his life, the editor of the London Times, he lived in London, wrote him and said, Reverend Chesterton, would you write an article for us of what's wrong with the world? And so he wrote back a letter. He said, that's easy. I can sum it up in two words. What's wrong with the world? I am. I'm what's wrong. Yeah, she knows. Um, I get it. I am. We're broken. There's something wrong with us. I, I... I'm not a big comic guy, but I did, once in a while, I'd look at uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Do you remember Calvin and Hobbes? Little boy with the tiger. Hobbes is a tiger. And one Christmas, um, Calvin says to Hobbes, the tiger, he says, I'm getting nervous about Christmas. And Hobbes says, you're worried you haven't been good? And Calvin said, that's just a question. It's all relative. What's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I haven't killed anybody. That's good, right? I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say I should get lots of presents? And Hobbes says, but maybe good is more than the absence of bad. And Calvin says, that's what worries me. <laughs> that's what worries me. There's something in me that's broken. And so I want to look at this. In Jeremiah's day, we read uh, Jeremiah 2. In Jeremiah's day, um, their world was broken. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. They were to widen the circle. They were to show the world who God is. But their government was failing. Their political system was broken. Their economic system was broken. They were dividing against one another. The, the gap in wealth between the rich and the poor had gotten out of control. It sounds kind of familiar. Um, and in, in a few short years, Babylon would come in and destroy Israel and take them into captivity. And people kept going to Jeremiah saying, what's wrong with the world? What's going on? Why are we so broken? And God speaks through Jeremiah in sermons, really. They're God's sermons spoken through Jeremiah. And what Theron read for us is the first. This was the first sermon. And so if you want to open your Bible app or whatever to Jeremiah 2, I'm going to look even at more than what was in there, and I'll show some of it up here. But this is God saying, what's wrong with the world? I am. You are. We're broken. We have a brokenness that's within us, and it's called sin. And so I want to look at a few aspects of sin before we get into each of the seven daily sins, deadly sins. Um, the first one is what I call the denial of sin. 
Sin is denial, right? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you, God says. Consider then and realize, right? This is language of intervention. This is a loved one pleading with another one. Do you know what you're doing? Can you see how destructive you're being? Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me. This is that sin itself is not fatal. Jesus, there's lots in the Bible and Jesus tells us there's a lot of things we can do about sin, but the denial of sin is always fatal. I went to Princeton University where I did my master's work and uh, I'm a history nerd. So I go down in the archives there, and I've shared this several times in my 20 years here, but I came across a letter writing between the spouses of the president of Princeton and the president of Harvard. And the, the spouse of the president of Princeton, she was a devout Christian, and the spouse of the, of the president of Harvard was not a Christian, was an agnostic atheist, and, and the, the Christian, they were good friends. And the Christian woman at Princeton never tried to, like, you know, beat her over the head with stuff. But she would always put faith things in her letter. And I'll never forget I read a response letter from the atheist uh, wife of the, of the uh, president of Harvard. And she wrote this. as just stuck in my brain. She said, do you mean to tell me that you let your children go to church every Sunday and get on their knees and confess that they're no good sinners? I would never let my children do that. It's a denial of sin. You know, we think that sinner is not a word that applies to us, at least not most of the time, right? Or we're not that bad. Dorothy Sayers called sin a dislocation, a radical dislocation of the soul. Years ago, I had the privilege to play Division I athletics, and, and I saw guys who dislocated their shoulder or dislocated their finger. I never had that happen. I did snap my Achilles. That was no fun. But, you know, when there's a dislocation of a bone... It, it does great damage. It's rubbing against tissue. It's rubbing against muscles. It, it needs to be pulled back into the spot. And Dorothy Soul says, sin dislocates our souls. We're leaning on something that's not God. We're trying to fill at the center of our lives. All theologians say we have a God-sized hole in our lives, and, and we try to fill it with things that just can't finally match it. And it wreaks havoc over us when we center on things that aren't God. Um, I was reading, I'm, like I said, I'm a history nerd. At the end of the 19th century, there was a big move in Europe as the world became more industrialized to kind of get rid of faith, get rid of religion, what they called superstition, focus on science. Um, and religion and science are not in contrast. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, science investigates, faith interprets, like we're, you know, we're cousins. But there was a break. And there was a woman named Beatrice Webb. I'm a big fan of her. She was a British economist, sociologist. She's the one that came up with the term collective bargaining. So like everybody in the NBA should thank her, like Major League Baseball, right? Collective bargaining. But she was a great thinker, but she thought that the world's problems could be solved. She was not early in her life a believer in God. They could be solved by systems. So you could create systems to get rid of poverty and systems to get rid of war. And she wrote, uh, a historian found her journals. She journaled a diary all her life. And she, in, in early on in her career, she wrote this. I am staking everything on the essential goodness of human nature. That's what she wrote. 
He pulled out toward the end of her life, 35 years later, she referred back to that quote, and she said, I used to stake everything on the essential goodness of human nature, but I realize now how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in us that mere social machinery will never change. She could have saved herself 35 years and just read Jeremiah chapter 2, right? There's something broken in us, and we need to admit it. We got to admit it before we can quit it. We need to own up and, and, and look in the mirror and, and, and sense where we're in. Um, there is a powerful aspect of sin that's at work in us, and we can't underestimate the power of it. So denial is a part of sin. There's also a posture of sin. That's why on all the lists of the seven deadly sins, pride is always first, right? It's always first. And we'll talk about that next week. But we're posturing ourselves. That's why it says, consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me. You're not in awe of me, God said. And that word awe is often interpreted fear, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. See, in our, in our 21st century English, we only have one definition for fear. It's negative, right? The Bible has two definitions for fear. One is negative, we're afraid. When Jesus comes up and says, don't be afraid, like that's the negative fear. But the other is a positive fear, that you're in awe and wonder of who God is, right? Um, so, but one of the things I've realized is fear, positive or negative, fear fixates, right? When you're afraid of something, you're fixated on it, right? Uh, I was up fly fishing in Hell's River. What is a pastor doing in Hell's River? Uh, in Saskatchewan, and I started being stalked by a grizzly bear. I could hear him. And let me tell you, all of my understanding was fixated on the sound of that bear. Uh, in fact, my friends thought I was lying when I said jump in the boat until he stuck his head out. And then they were afraid too. Fear fixates, right? You're fixated on what's happening. The, the medical report, the issue uh, with your family, uh, you know, the, the person that breaks into your house, you're fixated. That's, it's, it can be negative, right? Um, but also it can be positive if we're fixated on God. If we're in awe of God, if God really is God, if there is a God, then we should fixate on him. We should be in awe of him. And we posture ourselves in that way. That's why Thomas Aquinas called sin being curled in on oneself. We put ourselves at the center of the universe. That's why I love uh, Galileo and Copernicus. They were persecuted by the church. But you know, they were persecuted, why? Because they had the audacity to say, maybe the earth isn't the center of the universe. They were dealing with our posture of sin. What do you mean? We're the center. Everything revolves around us. They said, no, maybe we revolve around the sun. And maybe we revolve around the son of God, the one who we should be fixated on. And that's why Proverbs even says this, happy is the one who is never without fear. Ah. Right? Positive fear. Psalm 130 verse 8 says, You have forgiven my sins, therefore I fear you. I'm in awe of you. I'm fixated on you. That, that's the positive language. Um, I was raised by what's called God-fearing Germans. Pennsylvania Dutch, you ever heard that term? And I was thinking about that. I mean, they, they were God-fearing Germans, man. And um, at every funeral, I guess you think, every funeral I ever went to, with a member of our family, including my grandmother, 
including my mom, including my sister, they always begin the funeral with the same hymn. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds your hand have made, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. They, they were learning to fixate on the God of all the worlds, not the God of my world and my happiness and my agenda and my opinion. But when I consider all the worlds your hand has made, you've made something so much bigger than me. You've made something so high, much higher than me. The old preachers say God is so high, you can't get over. He's so low, you can't get under. He's so wide, you can't get around. When I consider, have you been considering how wide and deep and, and long God is? Have you done what Paul said? Have you considered the depth and the breadth and the width and the length of the love of God that he has for you in Christ Jesus? Are you considering that? Or are you posturing yourself to be the center of the universe? I need to get myself under that control day by day. God says in Isaiah 45, I am the Lord. There is no other. The Psalm says, be still and know that I am God. That's, that's our, the sin beneath all the sins, friends, is we want to be our own Savior and Lord. But there's a posture we're taking, and we need to surrender the control that we think we have that's only an illusion anyways and fixate on God. Amen? So there's also then the consequences of sin. I've got two points and I'm done. The consequences of sin. This is what Jeremiah continues in the sermon. What then do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? What do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your wickedness will punish you. I was always, you know, I, sometimes in ministry, I've said this myself and people come to me, why is God doing this to me? And most of the time when I say that, it's like, well, Chip, why are you doing this to you? Your own wickedness will punish you. Your apostasies will convict you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you. And the consequences of sin is one, it will enslave you. And secondly, it will never satisfy you. See, when we're in denial, right, when we're in denial, we don't realize that we've chased after other gods. We've tried to fill that hole with something else. How can you say, Jeremiah says, I'm not defiled? See, there's the denial. I'm not defiled. I'm not a sinner. I've followed all the rules. I, I've not gone after the Baals, the foreign gods. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. Keep your feet from going unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, it is hopeless, for I have loved other gods and I must go after them. Do you notice in the beginning, it's, um, sorry, in the beginning it's I'm not defiled, and at the end it's, it's hopeless. See, that's what happens when we fall into our impulses. First we're in denial, and then we're enslaved, right? Um, I had a man in my very first church in New Jersey. I was a seminary student there. I was a youth pastor. That's why I started too, my, my brother. Um, and I, I led an adult Bible study. And there was a wife, she was married to a guy um, a little older than me, not much. I was in my 30s, he was in his 40s. But he was a very well-known attorney in New Jersey and New York City. Uh, he never came to worship, but he played left field in the church softball team, and I played left center. So we kind of became friendly. Um, and his wife informed me in the Bible study one day that he had had an affair. 
and he was not breaking it off. And she wanted to try to save their marriage. And she said, Chip, you know, at least he knows you. Would you talk to him? And I remember I, I took him out for coffee and I was having a discussion with him. And he said to me, I'm not defiled. Here's what he said to me. He said, you know, I just don't think human beings are wired to be with one person. I just don't think we're made that way. And I would love to tell you I want him for the Lord. I didn't. But I, four years later, I was at my first church back in Ohio, and he called me out of the blue. His wife had divorced him. He was estranged from his kids. And he said to me, Chip, I feel so alone. I'm not defiled. I'm so alone. I'm, I'm enslaved by this thing now. It, it, and it, and it, will never, it will never satisfy you. It will never give you this. I, I love what Jeremiah said. Look, God, God speaking to the people say, you say to a tree, you're my father. You say to a stone, you gave me birth. For you've turned your backs to me and not your faces. But in the time of trouble, they say, come save us. You ever heard that? But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them come if they can save you in your time of trouble. For you have as many gods as you have towns. See, wood and stone are not bad things. God created them. We're thankful for wood and stone. The problem with wood and stone is if you put them in the center where only God can be, they will never fulfill you. The, the, the words of the created gods, the foreign gods are, you could have done better. But the words of our only true God is, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're all longing to hear but we're putting things in that spot that can never satisfy us, that can never finally fulfill us, right? Um, it's why it says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It will not give us the statement, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's why I want to close with this point, that when we're in the denial of sin, when we're in the posture of sin, when we're enslaved to sin and, and things that will not satisfy us, what's really happening is sin is a lack of trust in the grace of God. It's a lack of trust. And, and religious people do this. Some people are, are captive to religion, captive to politics, captive to family. It can be good things, right? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness? You know what's interesting? Even Bible legalists who are always talking about, well, sin is this and sin is that and sin is this, and it's always breaking the rules, right? Those are sins, but it's not sin. There's something deeper that causes us to break the rules, and it's a lack of trust in the grace of God. I was thinking about this when he's talking about delivering the people from Egypt. Do you remember he delivered the people from Egypt and then gave them the law? He didn't give them the law and says, now obey all this, and then I'll deliver you. He delivered us out of the grace of the heart of God. And, and our, our, our refusal, and some, some of the biggest big, biblical legalists out there refuse to trust in the grace of God. I got to make sure I'm following all the rules. Paul tried to do that when he was a Pharisee. He said, I tried to fulfill the law of God, and it ground me into the dust. But when I understood the grace of God in Jesus Christ... Why would I even want to sin anymore? Why would I want to break God's heart? It's not about breaking the rules. I don't want to break his heart. And, and so we're, we're, we're turning to things in our lives. We're centering our lives 
on things that can never finally satisfy us. So as the video said, come unto him. When you have the courage to admit that you're weak and broken and heavy laden, take my yoke on you, Jesus said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and I will give you rest for your souls. Don't have a dislocated soul. Put him in the center, right? Put him where only he should be. And I love later Jeremiah says this, does a young woman forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ordinance, ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me. So many times Jesus speaks of all of us, and men, you're gonna have to get over this. He speaks of all of us as a bride. He's the bridesmaid, we're the bride. And he said, the bride is forgetting their ornaments. Have you ever gone to a wedding and the bride forgot to put her makeup on? Forgot to do her hair? It's never happened, right? Because we're trying to present ourselves. You know, I, I remember when I, when I got married, uh, man, I, my heart just melted when my wife walked down the aisle 35 years ago. Um, back, I, was, uh, I had a brother I was working with. He was from Montreal, Canada. And he was in there and he said, man, when Terry walked down the aisle, we all wanted to marry her. I said, yeah, but you didn't get to. I did. You know, we want to. We're trying to present ourselves. And the problem is we're putting ornaments on. We're putting makeup on. We're doing our hair. We're doing everything to be acceptable. And Jesus said, I am the bridegroom. And you are my bride. And in Ephesians, it said this, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church, that's us, friends, to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. We're trying to adorn ourselves in our true spouse, our eternal spouse and friend and king and Lord is the one who's made us presentable, is the one who, who lifts us when we do well and forgives us when we fail, and the only one that can ever satisfy by saying what we all need to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things, coming to the joy of many things. So don't be in denial. Get off your posture. Don't become a slave to something by avoiding it but stand up in freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. A lot of things I don't like about my last name, but I do like freed. Because <laughs> he who the son of man has set free is freed indeed. You can have that. You can have that if you pull him into the center where he belongs and put yourself out of the way. Amen? So uh, let's pray together. Lord God. We thank you that you are the physician who's never lost a patient. You have a cure for what's broken in us, and you showed it to us on the cross. Help us to come to you, Jesus. Not come to church, not come to some denomination, not come to some you know, altar that we've created, but come to you, our true and living stone, and build our lives on you, that we might experience the grace and have the courage to admit that we need it. Lord, we need your grace. Thank you for giving it so freely. In Jesus' name, amen.